forever. Dog. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah. Thank you all for being here. Uh, what I'm going to do is have you introduce yourselves on the microphone so the listeners know what your voices sound like. Um, tell us also somewhere they may have seen your name on their TV screens. And tell us, finally, uh, WGA elections are coming out and you are the in- incumbents and, and runnings uh, for, this, for this election. Uh, and David Goodman, let's start with you. Uh, well, I'm David Goodman. Uh, you've probably seen my credit on... Family Guy. I'm currently one of the executive producers of the Orville on Fox, moving to Hulu, and I'm president of the WGA West. Hi, I'm Marjorie David. You've probably seen my name on a thousand things. <laughs> I'm most recently on Taken. Before that, Shadowhunters. I had my own show, Wildfire. I worked on Millennium. And on and on. So, <laughs> and I'm the vice president of the WGA West. I'm Michelle Mulroney. I'm a features writer, so you won't have seen my name on all the things I've written on because that's not how it works. <laughs> but you will have seen my name on things like Sherlock Holmes, yeah. the sequel to Sherlock Holmes, a recent Power Rangers movie. And I am running for secretary treasurer of the guild after having been on the board for two years. Fantastic. Um, I'm big fans of all of you, both as writers and as, um, as, as a, a guild representative. So thanks to start for all the work you have done thus far. Like I know it's, it's not been easy. You all work hard. And in fact, when I was telling uh, Alec, our engineer that you all were coming in, he said they have jobs on top of their job of <laughs> yeah. working at the Hill. Our full-time free job. <laughs> yeah, it, it does feel like um, from all of you, from like having read about you over the years and, and knowing you, David, a little bit, um, that you know you were moved to join the Guild and, and to work for the Guild um, because of your own experiences in this industry. And that's something I'd like to hear about a little bit is, you know, was it stuff when you were coming up? What changes did you want to see? Did you want to help make happen that led to your engagement in this way? I mean, for me, the I had some real uh, incredible moments where the guild stepped in without me even realizing it. That 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 it was for many writers, the guild is something you sort of take for granted. It's there. Yeah, you get your green envelopes with mm-hmm. your residual checks. The pension and health plan, in fact, is there. And you you think it, it's just there mm-hmm. and that it's this bureaucracy and that it exists and that it will always exist. And then um, I was in a really tough spot uh, at a point in my career. I mean, I've been a writer for about 30 years and about 10, 15 years in, I, I just hit a point where I couldn't, couldn't get arrested <laughs> and uh, was really having the uh this real moment with with talking to my wife and we had two kids and a house and i was like maybe i'm maybe i'm not gonna be a writer and started putting together a resume of trying to get some other kind of job in the business but was like maybe because i was really having a tough time and i had uh co-created a terrible show years before congrats uh, uh, what's that congrats thanks i mean it was truly awful (laughs) but it was for some uh, a type of business called first run syndication Mm -hmm. which means it had to rerun for a full year and i got this giant residual check (laughs) out of the blue for that and i was like i can hang in a little longer wow and then uh, patrick verone and i worked together on futurama and patrick at the time was secretary treasurer of the guild and I started to learn a little bit more about the fact that the guild is not something that just exists or will always exist. It, it requires work. It requires the sacrifice of members at certain points to stand up and unify. And that if we don't, the things that we take for granted, like the pension and health plan, like residuals, can go away. And, and the guild had let me stay a writer and I, and that, that was really my motivation to get involved. And I ran for the board and ran for the board four times. It says there are term limits on that. And then became vice president and then president. And each of those, each of those moments where I decided to run was based on that knowledge that if somebody isn't willing to give of their time, this can all go away. Hmm. And that, that's always been my motivation. 
That's really interesting. Yeah, Marjorie. It's hard to better that. I mean, I <laughs> no, I, I mean, to, only to add to it, I yeah. think I got involved really as a strike captain in 2007. Oh, really? Yeah, and I... Because I understood, somehow I understood what was going on and no matter, and it was important to me to make things clear to other people and to stand up for us as a group. I like that feeling of being in a group. I had started mm-hmm. out as a novelist. I was all alone <laughs> in my room, miserable all the time. And I, and my first job was on a film, actually, not a television show. It was Maria's Lovers, Andre Konchalovsky, a long time oh ago. Oh my gosh. And I, I got it off of writing a novel that mm-hmm. was published. It's so long ago, no one knows, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so, um, and all of a sudden I was with all these people all the time. And I was working with the director. And the, that first movie, in fact, the director said to me, well, lots of people have worked on this movie. Everyone gets credit. So I went, <laughs> okay. And everyone got credit, even though I wrote the movie or maybe wrote the movie with him. I would have given him credit. But, you know, I, and then I learned there was, oh, there's credit system. This is great. Funny. Anyway, we go all the way up to 2007. I'm on the strike picket line. I understood the importance of our covering digital mm-hmm. media. I kept trying to explain to everybody that everything was going to be digital media. I really like other writers. I liked being with them. And as time went by, and as my kid grew up, I was looking for social activism. I was already keyed in there. And so I eventually ran for the board. And I, I find it deeply rewarding, honestly. I love talking to writers. I'm My favorite thing in the whole world is when someone calls and says, I can't get my money, and I know who to call and get them their money. It's really satisfying. I mean, That's very great. satisfying. Yeah. So... Um, that's my deal, that makes sense. I guess. I'm, I'm curious to hear, and, and for many of you, before we uh, get to Michelle on this, but I, I was sort of a, a baby writer during that strike mm-hmm. um, and, like, you know, went, went out and did the picketing with everyone else. But maybe I didn't understand the enormous import of it. Yeah. And it feels like this time around, uh, and while this isn't a strike, this current campaign has a lot more engagement from rookie writers. Um, well, I think to that, what that, do you attribute that? Well, because of the, the rookie writers are the ones who are most affected by mm-hmm. this system, most yeah. negatively affected by the system as it is. I mean, hmm. that that is really where this whole uh, formulating of this campaign started was the fact that that new writers are making less, not not less on the on a cost of living scale, literally less money mm-hmm. than their counterparts 10, 15 years ago, and yet. The company's profits are through the roofs and our agencies are doing quite well. And you have to ask the question, why? And uh, the enormous support we've gotten in this campaign from new writers is because they know what we're talking about. That's where it came from. We didn't – it wasn't something we knew off the top of our heads and guessed at. This was based on talking to members. And I think that that's – one of the reasons why we – even writers who are called sort of the most vulnerable writers mm-hmm. are like, keep going. Yeah. This is important. Fix this. And uh, I think that's why. I think in 2007, the strike is, it was a hard thing to understand because there was no streaming. Yeah. Right. I mean, Hulu went live the day the strike ended. Oh, my gosh. Uh, we had statistics to that, that told us yeah. that that was going to happen, right, by the really. way. Yeah. And we kept going like, no, really. It's going to happen. You know, right. And everything's going to be digital. And well, it's also so hard. To, I mean, I, I yeah. remember – I didn't fully believe that people would be <laughs> oh, watching shows on their computers. I'm oh, like, I did. how does that totally work? Did. I'm like, all right, well, I'm, I'm all in. But it's sort of like, I had no concept of, that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. How, how does that work? And you were t- taking on faith. And it took years, actually, after the strike for it to really kick in, where people were sure. writing for streaming shows. And, mm-hmm. and that was the thing. We were really had to convince the, uh, and unfortunately, not everybody was as educated as Marjorie was. Because <laughs> yes, the, I the, know everybody. Well, so you, well, the, forward thinking. No, forward thinking that we really that. had to like get people trust us on this. This is happening. Right. And if we don't get coverage now, we won't ever get it. And think about the the, the disaster we avoided by t- doing that strike. Absolutely. There's taking that kind of thing on faith. But yes, go ahead. I was going to say, it kind of was a leap of faith. Yeah. But I remember at the time, um, you know, I was a hermit screenwriter, as we, as we are. And I sort of came out of my shell and got engaged in the Guild deeply in 2007. And it was, you know, my story was like a lot of writers at the time. I was at 
the highest point of my career, I had a $200 million tentpole movie, the Justice League movie with George Miller directing in pre-production. And I had to Wait, come back. Wait, you wrote the, that, the George Miller yeah. Justice yes. League? Yes. yes. Can I read wow. that script? Yes, of course. By the way, it's great. It's great. Leaked online. It's, it's everywhere. You can find it everywhere. But yes, <laughs> so that was happening. It was, you know, in pre-production in Australia. Um, I had to come back. Get on the picket lines. So it was like, oh man, this is this is interesting timing. But <laughs> but like Marjorie, I found for the first time a real community of writers on that picket mm-hmm. line. I was really lucky. I was picketing with the st- the, the writing staff of the office at the time. So it was a hilarious <laughs> was picket line. We had fun every day. But you know, as the strike went on, even though it was frustrating because I'd had to abandon this project and the project ultimately did die for several reasons. The strike was one of them, but there were other factors. Just want to set the record straight because this thing <laughs> is constantly speculated about online. But um, you know, it was a tough moment, but I found that community and the issue became very, very clear to me. Like David, I could I didn't completely have the vision of how big this streaming thing was going to get, but I knew we were being lied to and manipulated by the studios. I found the writers I was engaging with to be very smart, very sort of, you know, reasonable and rational. And that was when the kind of I got bitten by the WJ bug fully and was kind of like, oh, man, I gotta, I gotta get more involved here. It took me a little while to step up and finally run for the board. But um, you know, that was that was because I was seeing, as a screenwriter, I was seeing, I mean, we're all seeing. The middle class being completely hollowed out. We're seeing a lot of attrition in screen. We're seeing stal- salaries stagnate to an absurd degree. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wanted to be one of the voices at the Guild for screenwriters. And that's kind of what I've, I've focused on a few things, but that's been my main kind of passion is making sure that as we sort of diminish in terms of the proportion of the membership, you know, uh, most of our membership is TV now and that's mm-hmm. cool and awesome. And I also work <laughs> a little bit in TV. That's great. But, you know, I just wanted to make sure that screen issues don't ever get pushed aside. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of what got me raring to go and, and, and to engage with the board. Let's dig in on that for a second and, and again, open this to all of you to talk about, you know, in, in that initial engagement, um, you had specific topic specific uh, uh, goals in mind and and since joining and becoming an active uh, uh, participant in this way what progress progress have you seen on those on sort of your pet goals well you she should talk about the screenwriter initiatives. Well, I mean, really you know, that's a, that's a good question because it's again, you know, I love my screenwriter community. That can sometimes be really hard to engage and organize. I'm not mm-hmm. going to lie; they really are sometimes tough because we are hermits and we're not always necessarily looking up from our laptops and thinking about the bigger picture. So that that was an initial challenge. But I will say, in the last couple of years, you know, we've had a lot of new initiatives to help screenwriters. Things like the Start button to help with mm-hmm. late pay and free work. Um, we've re vamped the uh, committee on the professional status of writers where we get the pleasure of going around to all the big studios as a group and talking to them about issues that matter to screenwriters. What are some of those issues? I wish I could say they were new issues. (laughs) And this is the thing. I mean, I call it the two-headed monster of free work and late pay. I Mm -hmm. mean, and we got to slay that thing somehow. And we're constantly fighting that battle, Um, particularly the free work thing for screenwriters and for TV writers working in development. It is... You know, these endless requests for drafts and pages and treatments and uh, pre-meetings and Mm -hmm. 10 pitch meetings. I mean, it just really eats into a writer's ability to actually make a living um, when their contracts are dragged out instead of three months over six months. It just is – it's a horrible abuse. We've made some progress in the last two years of kind of addressing it and certainly making it – uh, more of an issue that's talked about within within you know the screen community. For sure. We have a lot more work to do on it. And again, this is one of the big proposals at the core of our agency campaign is mm-hmm. is finally getting our representatives to key in on this, to fight against this free work abuse, to fight fight against late pay, to turn over uh, contracts and invoices to us to give us a level of transparency where we can actually kick our enforcement um, apparatus into high gear. We can't enforce what we don't know about and what we don't see. So, you know, that's it's one of my pet issues in this agency campaign. It doesn't get as Great. much as headlines. It's not as sexy as packaging, <laughs> but it's crucial to all writers and especially screenwriters. Absolutely. And it feels like a 
a like you've done the hard work of convincing screenwriters that there is a community there for them. And I feel like even since starting this podcast, we've seen that for like TV always sort of had that. But screenwriters we used to think of as weird loners. Um, Well, we are. You're weird. (laughs) Weird, less loners now. Yeah, but I think that's your work. Back when it was more isolated, I think writers were taught that they were only competing against each other. And that was to nothing but the advantage of studios and people who want to package Mm -hmm. or anything like that. And now we're sort of, wait a minute. And you know what? That's what happened to women. When I started, you'd get picked to be the woman. (laughs) And you were supposed to hate all those other women because you were always fighting against those women to get the job, you Mm -hmm. know. And some of those people are like my best friends. One day, something popped and we all got together and went, this is bullshit. Like, we all have the same problem Good. here. Yeah. So, you know, we see that change coming. We see that with yeah. all of our inclusion and equity programs. And that's a passion that's important. And that is also keyed into the agency fight. We yeah. want to see them representing people better and representing more kinds of people better. And often people who un- in underserved groups come on <clears throat> as the newest hire. So let's let's see them being sent out to people who can hire them. You mm-hmm. know, they've been doing very well in the tools that we've developed to help writers help themselves. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. These aren't people who need to be patronized. They are people who just need a chance to show what they've got. Everyone in the Writers Guild is a professional writer. This is not, they wouldn't be in the Writers Guild if they weren't professional writers. So they all deserve a shot. Um, What what were some of the issues that have been important to you over uh, your tenure? Well, you know, I work in animation a lot and I'm lucky to work in guild-covered animation and uh, that's a really tricky, uh, it's really been a very tricky issue uh, for a number of reasons, but the, the opening that we've had and that we've had a lot of success in is getting guild-covered animation and streaming. And, uh, and there have been a few shows That's great. that I've uh, tried to help get covered and succeeded uh, on those streaming services. But, you know, the, really the, the reason I ran for president was the agency campaign. We've been talking about it for five years. Hmm. I was worried that that if whoever was president wasn't willing to take this on, the opportunity would go away. This We had this window mm-hmm. during this period, and I knew it was scary. I knew that there would be people who might not want to take it on. I'm lucky in my career that, that you know, nothing's guaranteed, but I have some some security so that by earning the enmity of four powerful agencies, I, <laughs> I, I'm not completely confident that I'm safe, but I have some, some security <laughs> and I w- wanted to do this. I wanted to take this on. So that's probably, and that's 13 years of service of the guild. The other piece of it that, that I, that I was involved with a couple of years ago, I was co-chair of the board nominating committee two years in a row with the specific goal of getting the board balanced uh, based on gender and that we've succeeded. There's 50% women on the board now, and it makes a huge difference in terms of how we tackle uh, problems. I think every man on the board would agree with me. The women are so much tougher and, uh, and, and work so much harder than we do. <laughs> so, um, well, I mean, uh, yeah, I, don't know. Uh, I, 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 I have that point of view. I do think though, that we've definitely wrestled with some very serious issues regarding sexual harassment and abuse in the workplace that we never would have touched yes, with a, sure. with a board that was all men or most men. That's and, right. and that's a really important issue and a real, uh, eye-opening issue for us, and 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 there, definitely during this agency campaign, that I think that balance has been really crucial. That's great. I'm curious to hear a little more about that, actually, in regards to you know having parity on the board is one thing. How well, do we that, start to? And, and you touched on this about the oh yeah agency yeah that campaign was a too. goal. I think when I came onto the board, I I think it's, I've been there seven years mm-hmm. now. I, I can't mm-hmm. remember. It's an odd number because I ran in an off year because I moved up to officer, mm-hmm. but. Um, uh, there were maybe three women tops at a time. Maybe. 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 <laughs> and it was another one of those things. I feel things, it was like, like two. Who's going like... to be the girl? Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. And then Meredith Steam came on, and I, I can't remember if Nicole Yorkin had come on yet or not. Uh, and we had, I, I think, Mara... Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. We had well, all, we Mara, had, Meredith, and, and uh, Andrea, Andrea came ran, on all the same. Right. Anyway, so our that goal Michael, that was Michael Palmer. I think had a lot. To he do did that, do that. Yeah. yeah. So there was we had a goal of of gender parity, which seemed 
when we first, what, Meredith was the first person to say it. She said, we had more women on the board. I think there were maybe four or five, mm. those names we said. And Meredith said to me one day, well, what if there were half women yeah. on the board? <laughs> and I have to say that my mind said, oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> and then I Why? thought, wait a minute, what? <laughs> and Why was we that your actually, first reaction? Uh, because I'm old, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I, I, my like big sisters in the world were, second wave feminists, you mm -hmm. know, and so I came with that commitment into things, but there's another wave now and it's really different. And so sometimes I have a stutter step Funny. to get my head around stuff. Yeah. So I got my head around that right pretty fast. <laughs> and we made a point of making it happen. And David, it's true. The people who were on the nominating committee made a point of trying to make it happen. And there were many women, Joan Meyerson, who is really one of those big sisters, mm -hmm. started uh, having events where women candidates would speak. At first, they were just for women. Now, there are so many women candidates that she doesn't even agree with all of them. But it was <laughs> voting for voting for women, getting them in, getting yep. them in. And we did. And we got that parody. When the At Me Too thing happened, the thing that amazed me was the guys were sympathetic, but they were kind of like, yeah, that's the way. It, and we were going, no, you don't understand. It doesn't have to be the way it is. And they listened, which mm -hmm. was also good. So we got a full buy-in from everybody. Mm -hmm. When we took a survey about it, the responses were so deeply upsetting yeah. that we knew we had to move. And there's still stuff to be done. Absolutely. I mean, we're not a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff. Yeah. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Because we had come in. With this board, with the agenda that David described, we really need to deal with this agency contract, which was outdated and mm -hmm. had to be fixed. And we thought that's what we're going to do. And then this big blob nightmare arose, and we had to address that right away. Yeah. It was interesting to me to hear that that conversation had sort of been going for about five years, knowing mm -hmm. that the deadline right. was coming up. What were the discussions going on in that time about the best way to handle this kind of thing? I don't know how much you can talk about it. No, it's I, you know it's funny. I mean, it, it was it, it started, I believe, with Chip Johannesson mm -hmm. just brought up the subject of packaging and brought up what a what a. Um, for lack of a better word, scam it is. What a, you know, it's this conflict of interest and Chip's a lawyer or was a lawyer before he became a writer and um, he just kept hammering us on it in the in the boardroom and that's the other thing that you think about in that one person in the boardroom can mm. start something yeah. just, and he just wouldn't leave us alone about it and then staff started looking into it and we just started talking more about it and we started to then, we did, we're taking surveys of the members and talking to the members about their income and what was happening and we suddenly saw this connection to the fact that agencies were growing and, and making all these profits and becoming these large companies and writers were making less and the thing that 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 and it was so it was this it wasn't that it was it started with the strategy it started with what what is this what's mm -hmm. the problem and then connecting the dots on the problem and mm -hmm. then realizing okay well, how do we solve this problem is there some way to for the guild to to solve this problem and uh, we realized that there was, but you know, it was a difficult strategy all from the beginning. The idea of really that we would have to make members fire their agents if they didn't sign a deal with us. I mean, that was tough. That was yeah, like something, it was a big people. ask and it was like, are they going to do it? And, and we weren't sure, mm -hmm. you know, honestly, you don't know, you don't know. I mean, what I've said is the problem with this all along is unlike a strike, mm -hmm where most writers don't have a personal connection to people at the studios, mm -hmm. certainly not the labor negotiators at the studios. The, in this case, writers have, every writer has a direct connection, or almost every writer who has an agent has a direct <laughs> connection to an agent who's going to be calling them and saying the guild is nuts. Right. And that has been the biggest problem. It's interesting. I mean, it's in many ways such a so representative of this business as a whole, right? Mm -hmm. Is These are the sort of complex relationships right. that we enter into where, you know, you work with people who you are friends with, who you right. who pay you, who you yeah. want right. money from, who want money from you, all yeah. of that stuff. And, and it feels like this is an extension of that, but a heightened extension of that. Yeah, it's a personal problem. It's a, it's a personal way, uh, representation of an institutional problem. And yeah. that's really hard because you're aiming right at somebody, even though right. your problem is probably their boss. Yeah. So it's yeah. tough. But it's not an amorphous. Yeah, plus of. we're not like a confrontational bunch. I mean, <laughs> right. We've learned to do it. 
but it's not. Well, I don't know. I've seen I don't some confrontation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's true. But, but do you are you gunning for it? I mean, it's, right, exactly. most writers aren't. But no. from the yeah. jump, I mean, we were very clear that this was not about any individual agent. Yeah. I mean, this was about agency practices. You know, and look, I'm I'm someone who loved my agent. I mm-hmm. was a, a big four agency for 16 years. Really loved my agent. Worked hard for me, and we had a strict 10 percent relationship because it was features. So you know, that was a nice, clean relationship. Yeah. Um, that was not the experience of most of our members, though. So, again, it's, you know, we're a union, so I've never been packaged. I've never worked for an agency-based production company, but so what? You know, I'm in a union, and I see others struggling and being uh, and suffering under this system. And, you know, that's when we all come together and stand together. It's been a big, you know, educational lift for me, for every single one of us on the for board, uh, for every single member of this union to wrap our heads around this. And it is complex, and everybody is has a different kind of connection to this to these issues yeah. everyone's experiencing it slightly differently so it's it's been really complex but given that i've been you know moved almost to tears frankly by the way that members have wrapped their head around this gotten out of thinking just about themselves started to think collectively stepped up to help one another in ways I never imagined writers helping one another, even way beyond the tools that we've designed. But that mm-hmm. one-on-one outreach and sort of, you know, linking arms on things and lifting one another up has been staggering. And it has been so impressive. And it's, uh, you know, a testament to our membership that when they, you know, when they educate themselves, when they become high information members, they get the issue, they start thinking outside of their own needs they do remarkable things for one another. So it's been pretty freaking awesome. It really has. We're recording this uh, after a week of uh, guild meetings, which uh, I was not able to attend, but I heard some great responses. Mm-hmm. What was the general mood at these meetings? What did you all walk away with uh, both feeling and if, was there new information that came out to you? I think that, I mean, the rooms were supportive. Uh, the, 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 mm-hmm. Not to say there wasn't dissent in the room, there was. There were definitely, in, in each meeting, a feeling of a group of people who are not on board for what we're doing. But mm-hmm. overwhelmingly, uh, the people in that room, I, I spoke, I laid out where we're, we're headed, where, where we're going, where we are. Not that, not in that order. Where we are, <laughs> where we're, yeah, whatever. And um, it was a real over Obviously, I'm a great, I'm a great speaker. Obviously, yeah. and um, I need it written down. Better on the page. Uh, better on the page. But uh, and the purpose of that speech was to test the audience. Uh, we're in that speech. We laid out. There's some risks here. This isn't. Uh, this isn't a given. We don't know exactly how this is going to play out. But here's the examples of why the strategy is working. And you can't talk writers into anything. Uh, you can't. That that's a misnomer that gets out there sometimes. That somehow we've ginned up the members, and they're they're. It's like no. It's the exact opposite. It's that we're saying something to the members that they already know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they know this system's broken. They just don't know why. And we're saying this is why. Mm-hmm. And these we have the smartest union maybe in the world in that it's made up of super smart people who are analytical and who – uh, who don't take things at face value, and uh, the support in those rooms was showed us that th- they are supportive of what we're doing and mm-hmm. and and are willing to take the risks to hang in there longer. Now that may change, and that is essentially what I was saying in all these meetings. What we we're all saying, which is we're out here to listen to the members, and if they feel like you know what you promised this and it's not happening or this isn't getting fixed or whatever, we're, we're going to have to change our strategy. But for right now, I think we're feeling enormous support for what Yeah, it sounded doing. like there was just an enormous amount yeah. of positivity in these meetings. Yeah. We do hear from everybody a lot, too. Like I, yes. I've often thought maybe one of the problems that the other uh, guilds have is that their members aren't sitting at a computer all day reading <laughs> yeah, their email yeah. trying to dodge That's work. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> it's really, we're there, you know, oh, yeah. oh my God, I got something. So, <laughs> so we hear a lot about their feelings. I, I, and we hear people's objections. People have a lot of questions. There were a lot of questions at the meetings. Most of them were well-intended and 
and genuine questions, mm -hmm. um, I hope we could come up with satisfactory replies. And there were some people who didn't like the action and made it clear. Mm -hmm. And so it was it was interesting. I have to say it, it was interesting. Yeah. It felt pretty good. It was good How to take you, the temperature. I agree. I mean, I think it was overwhelmingly supportive. That said, I thought people asked really smart questions. I think we would have been shocked if they hadn't, and we were glad that they did, and I think they got full answers. For me, what really... Uh, particularly resonate, I thought, David, in your speech was um, you you laying out what the future would look like if we don't take this action and the mm -hmm. risk of not acting. And I thought that was really smart and really, you know, that that gave me a lot to think about too. And I think the members really responded to that kind of, it's easy to do nothing. And also that Status if, quo is easy to maintain. Right. And yeah. that if, if we don't do something, I think you're specifically referring to this part of the speech where if we don't do anything, 70 to 80% of our members in 10 years could be repped by public companies. I mean, that's I, right. you know, yeah, WME is trying to become public. CAA yeah. and UTA aren't there yet, but that's the road they're on. Yeah. And so that you have 78% of our writers repped by public companies. And suddenly we're being moved around on projects like the old studio system, right. like we're there employees. And then also we have nobody defending us against the big mega studios right. and suddenly we have no leverage and, and the union itself loses the leverage to ever take this on again. Yep. Yeah. Can you, I uh, hit home, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, and it does. And I think it's worth breaking down a little bit more and talking about what it means for, for our listeners to be a publicly held company and why that's different from the situation now and why that would hurt writers. Well, you know, it's interesting. It, 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 no law firm, is a public company. No accounting firm is a public company it, because you need to be for to fulfill your fiduciary responsibility to your clients. You can't be uh, beholden to stockholders, and so the idea that WME is going to be a public company, I, I don't see how they can say that they will put clients first when they've got in that situation to put stockholders first. Right. So that affects all sorts of ways in which they conduct their business. And that absolutely means that clients will not come first. They can't. It's not, it, it's, and so that's what we're talking about. That, that whether we get into packaging and producing and all those other sort of the, the, the core of it is your agents should be putting your interests first. We understand there's the conflict of, of an agent representing two writers or three writers or 10 writers who all do the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and that there is that as sort of a natural conflict. Uh, but we can live with that conflict. Right. That, uh, that the, but the idea that as a company, you have this whole other group of people that you're beholden to legally beholden to, um, it, it's just, it, it's mind boggling. Yeah. You can't, you can't do that. It's an enormous conflict of interest, and, yes. and what what we're what we've been talking about for these six months, and what you all have been talking about for over five years, is just variations of conflict yeah. of interest. Um, I'm curious to hear if you can talk about some of the other questions that arose in some of these meetings uh, from from guild members. Oh, there was a question about managers. Um, how come managers could have production companies and agents couldn't? And question. there's actually an easy answer to that, mm -hmm. which is that managers are managers because they are not supposed to negotiate. Right. And then they didn't have the conflict of negotiating your deal and employing you. Because of this action and because we had so many agents out of, you know, commission, as it were, on this, they <laughs> – we – empowered, because we have the right to do that, the managers to negotiate for this period. Uh, gotcha. The waiver that they have to negotiate can be canceled in 10 days when the agents come back online. Mm -hmm. I figure it will be. Um, and so, and we can keep an eye on them. So we, you know, basically we allowed them this conflict. Right. We also have lawyers uh, doing right. negotiation, but it, but it makes sense. I mean, they have their production companies because they want to be producers. A lot of them used to be agents and left mm -hmm. so that they could be producers and that put them out of the negotiation game. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's one. Well, there's another, there's another sort of fear that somehow that, um, if by pursuing this action where we are, uh, leading the business to have, 
packaging fee is determined by who the director, or who the actor is, and that somehow yeah. we're, we're creating a thing, uh, something in television where uh, suddenly writers won't have any power anymore. And uh, Chris Kaiser had a very good answer to this question, which was, uh, you know, over the years, um, uh, television, the television business especially, has made these companies billions of dollars, and it's a system where the writer is in charge. The writer uh, makes sure that these the scripts are written, and that there's a, and so that even in a, even in a even in a show where um, the packaging fee is determined by the IP, for instance, mm-hmm. there's still a showrunner. There's still somebody who makes sure the scripts get written and the show's a success. And in fact, I would say the the other piece of it is the the companies would have loved to have figured out a way to take the power away from writers for years. They don't want to pay pension and health. They don't right. want to pay our residuals. The way the reason they do is because they have to because they rely on us. So this idea that the the companies are going to um, now make directors showrunners just to pay agencies packaging fees. It just doesn't make any sense. Right. The, 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 the way the business works, it's based on what writers bring to the table, not based on some power structure above who's handing out who, the, who drives the packaging fee. The writers drive the packaging fee in so many cases because they're a necessity. Sure. Uh, and a necessity that uh, if they could have figured out a way to make us less necessary, <laughs> they would have. Um, you know, and that, that I, I understand the fear that somehow there's going to be some kind of collateral damage and that we're not seeing, but it's just, it's just not true. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it doesn't add up. Um, Michelle, are you finding that feature writers have different sorts of questions about this campaign? I mean, yeah, I think, you know, um, again, if you've never been part of TV packaging, you know, mm. that, that's something that I think a lot of us are, again, coming to understand now and, feeling terrible for anyone that's been hurt by that system. But the thing that we're really f- focusing on is is what David Marjorie were touching on earlier, which is, you know, this future where the agencies become studios. Yeah. That's that hits feature writers right at the heart yeah. of what we do. And that's not something that we relish. And again, this two headed monster I talked about, the free work late pay thing, we see being able to take that on through this campaign is vitally important to screenwriters. So mm-hmm. they, I, I would say that they, you know, they're super engaged in the packaging conversation because it's, it, it's actually really complex and fun to talk about and wrap your head around actually into debate. I mean, there's a lot of meat there, but those two other issues are really, yeah. really kind of on the lips of screenwriters. And so um, we are actually working this week on some messaging, some stronger messaging Great. around those two issues to make sure they're not getting lost in the packaging conversation. Okay. Um, so by the time this people hear this, that will yeah, be out yeah, there. People be out can there. find yeah. it. Excellent. Yeah. Um, and it does seem like, I mean, this this packaging conversation, this, this agency campaign conversation touches on so many of the other other aspects that are important to guild members and to guild leadership, uh, whether it is about, you know, studios payment and, and free work or diversity or whatever it is like this is a this is a key thing to be talking about uh, and a key problem to solve. One of the other questions, I mean, to, to, to jump off what you're saying there, that, that's been coming up a lot in meetings and just in all of our communication with members is how does this cam- the pursuit of this campaign affect our upcoming 2020 MBA, mm-hmm. um, which w- is where we will address a lot of the issues that we've all been talking about as well, because, you know, many can be addressed through the MBA, others will be addressed through the MBA, and it's important to make the distinction there and to sort of see which track is best for which issue. So, you know, there's been completely understandable concern from some members that we would like, you know, burn ourselves out through this campaign or that we would somehow go into next year weakened because we've taken on the agencies, that this is making the guild in some way look bad. Um, You know, and that's, again, I'll say it's a legitimate concern. I've been saying to members, and we've all had different kinds of messaging around this, that and certainly in my time being in the Guild, I've never seen the membership this engaged, yeah. this far ahead of an <laughs> MBA negotiation. It is mind-blowing. There is just smart, really useful conversation going on every day between the members about what should be our pattern of demands right. in the MBA, what does matter to us all. We've never been engaged like this, this a year ahead of an MBA. So I think in that sense, we are in phenomenal shape. You know, I... I don't know. I mean, I, I can't claim to read the minds of the AMPTP. God knows. I wish some of us could. But 
I can't imagine right now they're looking at the WGA and thinking we're a bunch of weaklings who just mm-hmm. take crumbs and cave. I mean, that's not <laughs> what we're really projecting right now. So I think we're projecting a lot of strength and resolve and unity. Yeah. So I think those are all really good things as we look ahead to next year. But next year is super important, and we can walk and chew gum at the same time. We can wage this campaign, and we mm-hmm. can also be planning and thinking about something that's coming up next year. Yeah, people forget that we've got this big staff that's working on this all the time. In fact, I'd even heard like, well, how can the staff be, you know, collecting residuals and how can the staff be <laughs> worried about well, there's whole departments right. of the, of this big labor union yeah. that are doing jobs that have nothing to do with the agency yeah. campaign. And some of that is research and data collection. Mm-hmm. So that is ongoing yeah. always. And we have been taking, because of social media, I think we've been able to keep track of a lot of member concerns that might not have come to us so yeah. soon. Um, there are discussions on women's pages about parental leave yeah. and, you know, what happens if you're a mother in a room uh you know, what happens if you get a certain kind of question at a meeting, all those kinds of things. So some of them are MBA and MBA adjacent. They're not really right. exactly agent, although they're related, which mm-hmm. I'm sure David right. can talk about better th- than me right now. I can right now. Um, so, you know, we're always on the case. What did you want me to talk about? The, um, <laughs> I forgot. I was thinking. I already forgot. Uh, the relationship between agency yeah. Yeah, yeah, the agency campaign and the NBA. Right. So so there's something, there's a sort of a metaphor of the sort of the hole in the boat, which is that uh, all the gains that we make in NBA negotiations sort of are erased by Mm -hmm. uh, the loss in overscale pay. And so what they're, they're connected in the sense that if we don't, if we don't um, fix the agency writer relationship, if we don't, uh, make it a relationship where when they make more, we make more. Um, it really doesn't matter uh, in some ways what we gain in the NBA because, as I said, it'll be erased uh, in the decline in, in overscale pay. There's a way in which also when we take on NBA issues, I mean, I've been in four NBA negotiations. Um, the way they work is you have a package of, uh, for lack of a better word, a package of um, – from the studios, it's either concessions to us or rollbacks, and then it's up to us to get all the things we want. Uh, uh, increases in minimums, pension and health, showing up the pension and health plan, um, residuals. Um, did I say residuals twice? Anyway, we I'm sorry. Can't say and then there are the other things we want to try to address, like the abuse of mini rooms or try to get uh, staff writers script fees or two-step deals for feature writers. I just pointed at Michelle when I said that. And, <laughs> Thank you, um, David. Mostly for and, you, Michelle. And then, we acknowledge what it means so much. And then on top of that, are we then going to have to try to address above-scale pay problems? And that's what we did mm-hmm. in 2014 and 2017. In 2014, we took on options and exclusivity. In 2017, mm-hmm. we put on, we took on span abuses. Those were, in fact, issues that the agencies should have been taking care of in their negotiations for writers in their individual deals and hadn't. They've, they, they've abandoned their responsibilities. So the Guild tries to fix it. We had success, but we had to use member leverage to do it. We had a threaten a strike yeah. in 2017. And now there's all these other things where reuse cross platforms are very scary yep. that these big mega companies will not be paying residuals in the same way because they own their streaming company right. and they make a contract and suddenly there's no there's no residual for your movie. Right. And uh, and for the the guild is going to definitely try to take that on, mm-hmm. but that would be something that if the agencies were doing their job, they would be taking right. it on as well. And so, so if we don't fix this agency relationship, uh, suddenly for the guild to be protecting its members financially going forward, we're looking at long and arduous strikes or we're looking at, at a world in which writers just don't make money anymore while everybody else in the business does. Mm-hmm. And I will say, and, and um, all of you sort of touched on this, um, we are faced now with all of these issues um, and even more coming up all the time. And it's been really heartening to see leadership. I mean, I feel like Michelle and Marjorie, especially I see you guys on, on the boards all the time. Um <laughs> Addressing these we're not things. Not <laughs> 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 but it's been great to say when someone pipes up about, you know, whether it's maternity leave or, or child yeah. care, whatever it is, uh, or, or span protection, which has been a big one. 
that like there's an answer and and it comes pretty quickly and it's it's kind of great to see it's something I didn't see it's 10 years ago. It's very satisfying to have the information and be able to convey it. Well, mm-hmm. And if a new question comes up, it's very satisfying to know what people want to know. You know, yeah. just that in itself. Yeah. And then we can go find out or we can take it up or whatever it is. That's the upside. Well, of the stuff. access you're all providing is, I mean, when, yeah. I, and I think we even talked about this years ago when I joined the board, I didn't know who to ask questions to. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah. I feel like we, you all are people now. <laughs> we right, get yeah. to know who you well, are. Well, that's a change in social media too. Yeah. Social For, media, in large part. There was no social media uh, in the same way. Yeah. But I also feel like you all are out there a lot more right. and willing to engage, especially with new board members or new, uh, new uh, guild members. Seeing that you know, Marjorie and I sit on the new member committee mm-hmm. where we, we get the pleasure of admitting the new crop of new it's members. It's the funnest thing ever. It's so fun. Yeah. It's great to hear it. Yeah. And, you know, and, and look, I mean, duh, I, you know, I'm feeling old every time I sit there because our membership is getting young and getting more diverse. And this is really, really exciting. And they, frankly, they, they are used to communicating all the time and getting answers at their fingertips. Right. And so they're, they're driving right. yeah. the way that we <laughs> yeah. communicate differently as a guild. I think we're having to move forward in, in into that sort of more interactive kind of constant communication territory because they frankly demand it and want mm-hmm. it. And so, you know, as our guild gets younger and I think more, you know, more active and more, you know, they want to be together. They want to be in communication all the time. We have to be responsive to that. We can't then just sit back and kind of go, well, you guys do that. That's it's our job as, as board members and so-called leadership, yeah. big, big fat word, but so-called <laughs> leadership just to, you know, play the game the way they want it to be played. They dictate the terms. And, you know, if they want constant communication, we have to give it to them. Yeah. You know, we've also got, <clears throat> excuse me, a gigantic rise in activism. Mm-hmm. And I think that Absolutely. younger members are more for sure active yeah. and more able to put themselves out there than they have been for so long. It's really wonderful to see. Yeah. And it's inspiring to people who've been around for a while and it's and it spurs us to move forward, as Michelle said, right. and it also means that a lot of stuff gets done. I it's re energizing, frankly. Yeah. It really Absolutely. is. I think that too that there was historically <laughs> in the guild a paternalistic kind of uh, mm-hmm. culture of people who would be on the board and make decisions, and and uh, and I think that that's really changed. Although I do still sort of see it, it still does sort of scare me that some of the people who undermined us in the at the end of the strike are still sort of out there trying to undermine this agency campaign, even though they're they're members, there's a way and I don't want to create division, but I do think that and that's sort but it's sort of an old school kind of view of the mm-hmm. guild. And as Marjorie and Michelle have talking about this, the activism of our new members is really sort of saying, No, this is our union. Yeah. We want to do it this way. And that's what our what the current leadership is. We're listening to all the members. We're not we're not just listening to the richest, most powerful members, although they obviously have a place in the union as well, uh, the, but that it's it's all the members get to decide this. Yeah. And I think that's an important piece. Yeah, it is. I mean, a union is a, a democratic uh, right. uh, Well, ours is anyway. <laughs> it, should, it should feel that way. I mean, we right. can say it, but it has to actually feel yeah, that way, behave right. that way. Right. And that's how members have to experience it. And I think there is a shift in the last little while, and I think that's more true. Yeah, you know, I think we're living up to that more. Uh, yeah. And we will next week, uh, folks. will hear a conversation with um, a bunch of younger writers, rookie writers who are running for board oh, cool. positions. Oh, oh great! Uh, they're we'll, going to we'll kick we'll our asses. Why yeah. they're, yeah. they're so much more yeah, interesting than place. us. Yeah. Yeah. So much more. <laughs> so much more compelling um, than us. And I will say, you know, as someone who uh, is not an uh, an active board member, is not a leadership member, just being a member of this guild in the past six months. It feels like there's a community in a way it hasn't in a long time. Yeah. Uh, and that, that means something. You know, it feels like uh, I'm not embarrassed to be a writer anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's interesting, too. I think one of the things that I sort of take for granted as part of this, it, it sounds corny, but I never get tired of talking to writers. No. I mean, you, you it's Try always... 600 episodes. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, you and I have something in common. I, I you know, I get... I get outreach from from all, all members, mm-hmm. new writers and and exper- uh, veteran writers, 
Uh, I got a call yesterday from a guy in his 70s who just had this movie made with Helena Bonham Carter and Hilary Swank, and he was talking to me about it, and it's on Amazon. That's wild. Amazing. A movie he'd been trying to get made for 20 years, and uh, just... You know, you hear these conversations, and you 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 you're always looking for as a writer uh, connection. I think that's part of writing is you're connecting to the world through your writing, and that then you can connect to other writers who do that same same job in a different way. I I, I just love that, and I think that's been the the greatest gift of my involvement in the guild is is getting to meet so many writers. Uh, some I'd heard of before, some I'd never heard of, all of whom I admire in different ways. And that's always really exciting piece of it. When I'll say, you know, they come to you, they come to you all because we feel like we're in good hands uh, to lead us into the future. So thank you you for that. Thanks for being here. Let's wrap up, as we always do, by asking what you're watching on television these days. What's getting you excited or inspired? Uh, What movies have you seen? What books have you read? We'll open this to all kinds of entertainments. Anyone who wants to jump in? Uh... You know, um, I I am blanking. I uh, recently, uh, I've become, in times of stress, I literally go back to old things. Mm -hmm. So I bought... Uh, the movie Forbidden Planet on, and I've downloaded it on my phone and I have watched it oh about God. 500 times. As it's meant to be so, seen. So the, I can't explain why that is comforting to me, but I, I, uh, I've done that. Uh, also, The Kane Mutiny is another movie that uh-huh. I, you know, so this is these old movies that I grew up watching on television. Now I watch on my phone in the bathroom. <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's a, somehow, or this is a moment of peace. It's just a moment of Yeah, there's something uh, very comforting uh, uh, about peace. it. So maybe we come around the horn. I'll think of a You're new so thing. You're so presidential, that I watch. David. Wow, what an image! Succession is coming yeah. back. Uh, I'm so excited. So it's good. so great. And and my husband. There's this whole world of stuff that I watch with my husband, and then stuff that mm-hmm. I watch by myself. Absolutely. Like I watch Glow. He does mm-hmm. not. We but we watched. Um, Oh, and I thought Fleabag was insanely great. Brilliant, brilliant. So we watched good. Occupied, that Norway. Which I heard is terrific. Oh my gosh, I haven't watched it's it yet. fabulous. Yeah. It's really good. And reading, I'm reading, you know, I actually read E. Jean Carroll's book after that Trump thing that she reported. Hmm. It's not just about Trump. It's really yeah. interesting. It's a She's really a good writer. I don't know what, why I never <laughs> heard of her. I think it's because men were so prominent at that time or something. Because then I got her biography of Hunter Thompson, who was... Oh my man, it's like great reading. So it's relaxing reading that has nothing to do with screen That's or great. blah blah blah. Yeah. It's just, you know Absolutely. a cool writer. Great. All good suggestions. Michelle. Michelle. I just consumed Dark season two, yeah. the German show, obsessed oh, with is that it show. Good? Oh, it's so freaking good. It's oh, so good. complex. It's the kind of show you you literally can't take your eye off the screen for one second because you're gonna miss twenty seven plot points. I mean it's really That's dense, great. really satisfying. Oh, we'll it's kind of like next. the smarter, in my opinion, the smarter, more I mean, I love Stranger Things, don't get me wrong, but it's kind of like the more intellectual, more mm-hmm. complex version of, of Stranger Things with these young German teenage uh, stars they are brilliant been getting into that and then of course British baking show great right? that's, that's a great show the best. it is my dream because I am British in in you know no. 15 years I'm get, I'm going on that show it's my dream to be a contestant on the great British baking show before my time is up it's on my bucket list <laughs> I will achieve this goal I'm that telling you I'm going to make it happen I, what I love about the show is the stakes are so low but, oh, but that's, that's what makes it great. Good. I love it. That's so what you said. I love it. But also, aren't the characters they the find just right? unbelievable? unbelievable. So, well. so I'm going to have so to get weirder and more kind of demented <laughs> and eccentric. I think, I think you're set. I'm yeah. set. Thank you, David. <laughs> love you. Um, uh, yeah, I'm doing, and, then I'm, and, and I'm not just plugging this because they happen to be two guild members, but I legitimately on my nightstand am reading two novels by WGA members. Howard Rodman's Great Eastern, which is oh, this yeah. oh, I've got it cracking yet. novel. I oh, just great, started great. reading it. It is so good. And and then this novel called Like a Love Story by one of our guild members, Abdi Nazimi, and about the Iranian, some young Iranian oh, people in oh, New York great. during the AIDS epidemic. It's oh, so yes, good. About yeah. that. It's These are be two phenomenal books that happen to be by WGA members. <laughs> Is there anything we can't do? Uh, no, no, there's nothing, nothing. we can't do. Yeah. Thank nothing you all for we can't do. Here. Thank, Thank you, Ben. Forever. Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Engineered and mastered by Alex Sarche. 
For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcast.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook. <laughs>